2: This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome, hello and welcome to Oral Delights Show 144. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello everyone, hope everyone is, yes, fine and dandy, a little... Twist to today's show. We're actually a day late, so apologies for that. And we are gonna play an old, old show by myself and Kieran. This is gonna be show 69. This was the last ever show that really myself and Kieran did, sat down and did, and from there on really this is where Starship Sover changed. So normal listening will be coming back next week. It's just I've had a lot of lot of emails. ...while we've been off the air for that one week... ...saying, asking about, you know... ...what was these old shows... ...because those old shows aren't online anymore... ...you know, can you give a little sample of them... ...and I thought, I've always wanted to kind of play this... ...the last one, I mean, Kieran sat down and and did... ...so this is what this week is going to be... ...I'm just going to a little introduction now... ...and then that show's going to run... ...and then again, hopefully, hopefully next week... ...we'll be back to normal... ...now I mentioned two weeks ago when we were back on that you know because of certain things in my life that there wasn't a show last week well it was all because I was going for a job or I'd been in the planning stages for a new job for a long long time still within you know within the company within the waterboard and if you listen to or if you subscribe to the Oh, what's it! The sanito- oh, I forgot what they're called, It'll be that long. The sanatorium show, a-, a while ago on there, I mentioned, you know, I was kind of interested in this new job or there's a new job coming up. And I've been in this kind of, just slowly planning for it for a long, long time. Well, I had to go out and buy a suit for the interview. I got an interview, apparently there was 130 in for the job. And I found out yesterday, Wednesday, the, is it the 15th, 16th? 14th, sorry, found out I got the job, so there we go, that's why I was off the air last week, I just couldn't kind of, I wanted to keep my mind clear, I couldn't like really focus on anything else to be quite honest, I was a right pain in the backside to live with, but like I say, throughout the week, especially since I've had Kieran on that last time, you know, I've had loads of emails, you know, mentioning, you know, what was these these old shows, these original shows... And I just thought, I always wanted to kind of put one in. I remember, I forget who, emailed in, says, you know, it would be nice to, to listen to one. And this was a while ago when, you know, all to do with the captain's logs, you know, supporting the starship sofa. So I thought, well, this week, you know, because I'm, I'm really not still up to scratch with everything, you know, on the kind of sofa side of things, I'll play that Show 69 in. As you can remember, '69, what other topic could you pick in science fiction? So we did sex in science fiction. And I don't think I've actually listened to this show or played it back to myself or anything since it went out. And this is the show, which is actually a bit of a landmark, or you know, this was the turning point in the history of Starship Sova. From this point, it had to change because it was this show went out. And um, if I'm thinking right, did they go out at the weekend then? (laughs) I can't remember. But when that show went out, show 69, it was only a couple of days later that I was actually at work on a night shift. And I just get up from my chair and passed out. Now, well, I I got the actual open door, you know, the, the kind of the office door outside. It was about probably one in the morning. And I don't know if I just jumped up too quick. You know, and all the blood rushed from my head or whatever it was. Passed out. And smacked my head off the, the concrete on the ground. And I was unconscious, you know. And yeah, didn't I did not wake up there. And I had a, a fractured jaw or a fractured skull in two places. And I had a tiny little bleed on the brain. And like I say, when this happened, I didn't realise. I just knew my face was in such a state. And this is when Starship Silver went off the air for about three weeks. Just after this show that you can listen to now. So, And from there... This is, I think, we did two more Christmas chats, and they were really just like fillers to kind of get over a little hurdle. Then we were off the air for a couple of weeks, and then that was it. You know, the original Starship so that was gone, and like I say, I've had so many great memories. You know, and it's been great. You know, the whole idea of all these shows lately is to promote Starship so as the captain's log. So what I'm, you know, I'm so hoping is it will go out. And you know, support what I'm doing. You know, I've gotten there. You know, honestly, I, there's no cash in this kind of podcast game. You know, I, I'm not like one of the big magazines now who can kind of come in. You know, I don't want to name names, but who can kind of come now and just bang, they've got the money there behind them. I've had to do Starship Sova just by so much hard work. You know what I mean? And I just need your support. You know, this is the way to kind of support Starship Sova. So please grab yourself a copy. Show 69 is now is that in there no that one's not in there so this is like a bonus one as well in that kind of the copy and i've just got back if you remember i asked kieran to sign it as well so i've got the very first copy that ever came off the press of starship so as the captain's logs we're going to raise try and raise some money for peter watts to go to australia i can't remember what i said but a hundred pound for this very first one it's signed and it's only actually signed by myself and kieran the very first starship sober and especially if i mean especially now if you know we're kind of this little show now has went down in history anyway has been nominated for a hugo award you know what i mean especially if hell if we, we win the hugo award that would be amazing as well this this book will be worth a little fortune. So please drop us an email if you're interested in that. And again, just come over to the website and, you know, support the sofa. Get this, this copy of this book and be a little part of history. You know, that would be fantastic. So this is Starship Sofa's, the original show number 69, Sex and Science Fiction. I'm going to just let it play and that's it. This is it from me. Like I say, I've got a new job, and if you want to hear, actually, about my job and about what it entails and that, do pop over at the sanatorium. I'm going to drop a show in there and tell everything about how nerve-wracking the interview was and everything like that. So, take good care, and again, normal service will resume next week. And apologising for all, everyone that sent in material to be played on this week's show. Promise. Next week, sure. <laughs> Until then, take good care.
0: Five, four, three, nine, nine.
2: <laughs> <Westworld>. <laughs> This is the Starship Sofa, Show sixty nine. Everybody, welcome. Uh, hello, hello, Tony. we're late, just, it,
0: aren't we, Squire? Oh, well, yeah, well, a long, comfortable screw—that is what we've managed <laughs> to put in. And uh, finally, here we are, uh, redoing, redoing the intro and the outro, Tony. Are we allowed to say that? We certainly can't. It's just—it's it's dated now. It's become—it's <laughs> become history. I think My, you were talking about
2: the, um, were we talking about the the writer's strike? Did, I tell you what, Mindy, all this writer strike and all that, you know, that uh, it didn't have spark a little kind of, not hoo-ha on the forums, but activity. You know, especially that, um, the Amazon Kindle that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some great threads about that and all different pictures of these new devices that are coming out. You know, there's, mind the majority of people... I think that um, the Kindle just its looks are not going to go anywhere. You know. Seems to me that uh, if you pull, pull out something,
0: well, I like, will like obviously like the iPhone. There's a classic example there. It's it's really it's style over content. I mean, the iPhone is not possibly the best phone, and certainly the deal you get over here in the UK with O2, which I think is three minute three hundred minutes and three hundred texts for for whatever you get. A lot of people are, are keeping their old phones and actually having the iPhone for its just sheer gadgetiness. <laughs> it's beautiful feel. It, it's kind of great handling in certain areas. But as a phone, you know, they're keeping their old one there so they can actually make all the bloody calls they want to uh-huh. make.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Well, that just shows you. You know, you'd, you'd have a Kindle. You'd have a Kindle to do all the hard work there and perhaps a, some kind of iPod device that would do a far better job.
2: So we're doing sex and sci-fi. Last week was show 70, but this week is now show 69. This is how it goes. For the next couple of weeks, it might be a little bit hitty missy, and we don't even know who's coming next week. <laughs> no, I haven't got a clue at all. know well, so, I mean, uh, sex and sci-fi, I,
0: I, with the, the best swing into that there, Tony, is that, that, you know, for me, it painted, the, painted, it drew the outline. drew the outline in sex and sci-fi. It drew the outline for later life. <laughs>
2: 69 you could not do it on show 69 we're not going to do it on show 69 but we had to do
0: show 69 about sex (laughs) yes i just want to
2: clear that one up right now so yes hope you stick around and enjoy the show so has anything been happening in your little life kieran in my little life no have you not been getting excited
0: about these show notes or getting excited about Christmas. Uh, no, show notes haven't been excited me there. Uh, it's a, a fairly dry old matter there. You see, I've got enough sex in my life there, Tony. I'm not a married man. <laughs> you see, it's the married man syndrome, you know, <laughs> where <laughs> all of a sudden it just disappears from your life. You lose the, uh, the edge.
2: You lose the but drive. You lose
0: the edge. I think, I think a lot of friends of mine, I think, Tony, I can't speak for you. They just don't get it anymore.
2: <laughs> so we are going to do sex in sci-fi. Before that, don't forget, the competition, we run the Michael Moore competition. So you've got to sign up to the forums, check that picture out. We're getting some great... Even if you just go over the forums and have a look at the, some of the um, the comments on the forums about this certain this certain picture that's kicking around. I
0: haven't been over there to check again, but has it
2: moved on from knob jokes yet? Well, not really. Oh. <laughs> the nice knob jokes, so, though, you know. We've also, after much persuasion of people on the forums we've set up now a monthly donations tab so if you go onto the website you can see you can either pay like a tiny little bit monthly which will all help us kieran is that right uh everything everything helps there at uh, the the bottomless
0: pit that a starship sofa has uh, dented dented my bank account massively. <laughs>
2: But it's all been worthwhile, has it not, Tony? It certainly has, yes.
0: So we're, We wouldn't be doing it if we weren't that excited about it.
2: Oh, it's still in it. You get some, like, emails and stuff like that. It's, it just makes you a dear. Don't forget to send some emails in, especially this festive season. Wish Kieran and myself a Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Have you been out to see the Christmas lights, Tony? Kieran, I don't, to be quite honest. And it's, you know what's really um, strange? Melanie said, and she's always mentioned it, Christmas lights in Newcastle—is that the one you're on about, the Phoenix ones?
0: No, just you. I mean, I know Melanie's obsessed about going off to see houses lit up like um, <laughs>
2: uh, lit up like Blackpool. Well, actually, there's Phoenix Wind in Newcastle where she drags the kids every every year to see this. I'm not really into puppets, and I can of get away with it. But she went as a as a little lass with her mum and you know her grand. So Reed and Ellie's getting, and they love it to be quite honest. But ah. Uh, Kind of don't like the, the window. I love Christmas. Makes,
0: love Christmas, yeah, because you like basically getting gifts. Mm-hmm. If Your you wife
2: just... does all the buying, and you like you do all the receiving. <laughs> and yeah, you what, like it. What's wrong <laughs> guy, what's If you check on my on the sofa blog, I've put on what I'm getting for Christmas there as well. Wee-hee. So I'm excited about that. Do you want to kick off sex and sci-fi? Sir? Well, uh, I wrote Fist myself a of introduction. A little introduction to kick off
0: there. So just see if I can ham-fist my way through this. I think we've got to set the scene, Tony. And uh, they say that H.G. Wells, he was the father of science fiction. Um, H.G. Wells, in his time machine, according to one critic, he uses the Morlocks and the Eloy as an allegorical device to show the sexes, with the brutish machine using Morlocks as the menfolk and the beautiful Eloy as the women, beautiful, ineffectual, Cattle. So it's subtle, subtle sex by allegory. I'm not entirely certain I follow that, but <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not entirely certain I am. But Jonathan Swift, apparently, is the first man. I mean, we keep on going back to Gulliver's Travels, and he's the first man who talked sex. And the particular bit in Gulliver's Travels, it's not the kind of Lilliput bit that everyone knows. It's the other parts. It's, the, um, it's where he meets the human-like yahoos. Now, they're criticized in the book for their bestial practices Um, and their habit of displaying their genitals
2: in public. (laughs) It's something you've been told off many a time for. (laughs) Well, I
0: I get this is it. I've I've put away the Mac and I don't
2: take it out anymore.
0: (laughs) Now, of course, following on from that, and a little bit closer to home, Um, and this is all proto-sci-fi, really. There's the, obviously, the 19th century Gothic movement, and that's the movement that spawned Frankenstein, The Encyclopedia of Science Fiction, uh, this is John Clute and Peter Nichols, and I think this bit's actually by Peter Nichols. Um, They say, Frankenstein points towards a recurrent theme in pulp science fiction, and that's the fear of the alien, manifest, at least in this subtext, as a fear of a sexual capacity greater than ours. Just as white men stereotypically fear black as sexual athletes are perhaps too well endowed to compete now, let's get to a little bit closer to home again, and it's the Victorians, Tony. Muggy Bunch. Uh, well, yeah, they, they are actually a surprisingly mucky bunch. I mean, they, they they were the guys of the double standards. Now, they very much influenced the, the social, sexual climate that sci-fi writers of our generation uh, more or less wrote against. And the Victorians, I mean, from their covered table legs, legs... They were the guys, apparently, who invented what we have now as the concept of childhood, something that seems to have extended all the way till till 37 for me. And apparently, Tony, I don't know if you knew this there, but sadio-masochistic practices were quite common in Victorian pornography, and they were very egalitarian. Apparently, the practice of whipping each other was definitely a shared uh, activity. Right, <laughs> over-teen scones. <laughs> well, I think, I think that's obviously the way I see it as well. Perhaps with the butler with a teapot in the corner <laughs> maybe we should start that back up again Kieran <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, yeah we we'll do starship sofa starship sofa naughties <laughs> actually I was watching I was watching uh, Red Dwarf and there's that one where they meet you know they use the the triplicator now does this ring any bells with you the triplicator where they they basically put a strawberry and they make three strawberries yes. one strawberry is super tasty. And one strawberry's full of corruption. And then they go and blow Red Dwarf up. And they're left with two copies of Red Dwarf. One with the good guys on. And one with the bad guys on. The bit I like there is where uh, Lister meets the uh, bad Rimmer. And the bad Rimmer's all dressed up like Dr. Frankenfurter. Yes. He's got stockings on and feathers coming out <laughs> of his shoulders. And he's, he's truly menacingly evil. Uh, and uh, he says, I'm going I'm I'm to whip you to, into, to within an inch of your life. And then... I'm going to have you, which I thought was absolutely (laughs) fantastic.
2: So sex and sci-fi, Tony. Where did it start as well with the censorship in the UK? Well, this is actually quite fascinating. The first film ever censored in Great Britain was about a piece of Stilton cheese. Apparently the British cheese industry protested that Charles Urban's 1890 bit of work allowing a magnified piece of cheese to be like squirming with kind of microbes might actually put customers off the products... So this kind of ninety-second shot was banned, and I remember, Kieran, and it, it must be just a greedy bastard. <laughs> I remember seeing like a shot, of a, a, like a French place where they had like a nice blue stiltony kind of blue mouldy cheese, and there was maggots in it, and they were they were eating it with the maggots in, and that didn't put. I was thinking, oh, that must that would taste so strong and gorgeous. So wouldn't have put, wouldn't have put the big lad off he, off his food. Well, mind you. there's a lot of cheeses in the continent
0: that have worms in them. The Sardinians have got one, um I can't remember what it's called actually. Um yeah, I I can't remember, but it's actually full of these
2: little white worms. You don't have to remember every bit of cheese with a worm in my head. Yeah, I'll let you well, the little,
0: the little little this little cheese, that they ha they have this cheese with the worms alive because it's so sweet. Basically the excrement of the of the worms makes it sweet.
2: Right now I didn't actually that might actually put us off. I didn't know that's what, is Is that why? Uh-huh, yeah. Oh, you see? Right. No, that's just, just knocked us there. Good, I'm not avid. it. By 1913, popularity of peep shows, picture houses led to the creation of this, the British Board of Film Censorship. Industry, it was actually industry financed and sanctioned by the Home Office. And actually, in its first year, the board cut and banned 166 films. It must have been just going crack as well. Hey! Among the censorship's objections. Were you know what they actually didn't like and what they were looking for was representations of Christ, mucky dancing, and I love this. You know, it's in it's in like speech box. Native customs in foreign lands adherent to British ideas. You know what I mean? <laughs> you Can just uh, cut
0: that. God of them dancing like that. It's fairly scary, isn't it?
2: Well, I mean. There's actually, there's a quote here by, it's in 1937, Lord Tyrell declares, and this is what, you know what I mean, just truly against what we all stand for today, we may take pride in observing that there is not a single film showing in London today which deals with any of the burning questions of the day. Do you know what I mean? So they were like censoring anything that yeah. would possibly be yes. incendiary,
0: would actually light up the proletariat. It's quite scary, isn't, isn't it? it?
2: You know, like, especially, like, you know, you're looking back now, I mean, like, say, 30, 60, 70, years ago, that now, you just you just wouldn't do it. But in them days, it's just, obviously, anything that was going to be an upheaval, you know, or going to cause, like, a little bit of, like, say, ignite a, a light, ban it. Yeah,
0: well, things started changing as well, because... To start with, it was a very politically organized little body. You know, they were definitely concerned about the effect of the films on on political, political life. However, however, they, there was a change over. And in 1948, the guy who'd been the secretary for the British Film Censorship Bureau... A guy called Brookie Wilkinson, he retired after 36 years. And things were a change in Tony because things were going bananas on the continent. And the board itself had to give up on political censorship because it was having to cope with all the
2: permissiveness, permissiveness of the European cinema. Do you know Kim do you know what I find funny as well mind you this this kind of the board secretary you know the, the kind of head chief makes all the decisions he was blind since 1938 so you know I mean? like so for 10 years you've been doing his job just listening. <laughs> yes. <laughs> imagine, imagine the image. What I'm, I'm sure they are. <laughs> yeah, you'd, be, you'd, have, you'd have two guys sitting
0: next to him whispering in his ear exactly what's going on. Yeah. That will be so, so bizarre. And again, but, I mean, this is early days, isn't it? It's, it's it, You've got this draconian kind of body there headed by somebody who wouldn't look out of place in one of these really, really quite... Um, <laughs> I wonder if he looked like Ming the Merciless. <laughs> oh,
2: speaking of which there of Ming the Merciless, did you ever look at Flesh Gordon? Of course or? I did. I picked it up... Kieran left these uh, Flesh Gordon out there. Kieran, I couldn't. Maybe I'm just like <laughs> I past it. I, would, I remember getting all kind of excited about watching it when I was a little. And do you know what I mean? When I was you did like, watch it when you were a kid, yeah. Oh yes, yes. I remember watching it, and it all came back, mind you. But I literally couldn't watch it. Do you know what I mean? I watched about twenty minutes of it. Fasted a little bit to see if anything. I fasted actually to the you know the big monster at the end, mm-hmm. and I like the beginning bit, but it was just maybe I've obviously moved on. It's 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 aimed at a seventeen year, eighteen year old, you know what I mean? And it's mm-hmm. just and I know what you were saying because you, you when I seen all the images at the very front, you know the credits coming up, I thought, wow, this is going to be really good. There's some great pictures in there, and I love. I mean, we'll we'll get some nice pictures on the site as well for the sure. <laughs> This kind of bloody big knob-shaped spaceship. thats that's excellent. But I thought it was hard work to be quite honest. Now I've got the feeling you sat through the whole of that and took notes. <laughs> I, I sat through the whole of that, and I did actually because I, I
0: wrote. A, oh, uh, no, 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 no! I wrote a review for the for the um, for the website, which I've got sitting on a on a Word document. But the thing, <laughs> the thing about the thing—I know it is because I, know, I thought there was pause burns on it. Yeah. It's different. What I found really interesting about it was, one, I never watched it when I was a kid. It was something I'd always heard about. Um, and I watched it, and I was quite impressed that the special effects were quite good. They were certainly, you know, in places. here there was the stop, wires. There was the the wires stuff. The ships. The stop, yeah, well, yeah, but well, obviously that's taking the piss because of the, the, the stuff on the um, the 30s. It was very... It, it did try and depict things pretty much the way they did in the 30s, so I that was a bit of a piss take. But the stop-motion stuff was absolutely fantastic. Well, I wasn't... Really, really good. I wasn't really... You, just, ass- you, were, you were just going to the sex stuff, Tony, no. man. Okay. You weren't <laughs> looking at it as a sci-fi Well, film. actually,
2: there's not that... Um... There wasn't that much in, do you know what I mean? It's not as, as if it Which is. Which you
0: probably cut through all the best bits of the film. <laughs> no, that's just,
2: I guess, I guess it, what I really made, made this laugh, mind you, was, you know, the names, you know, like Flesh Gordon, obviously, but like, is it Doctor like, jerk, jerk Off, Jerky Off? Flexi, Flexi Jerk Off. <laughs> Doctor Flexi Jerk Off and uh, the Emperor Wang. Mm-hmm. I wasn't interested in it, do you know what I mean? And I wish I'd actually probably watched, you know, seen you were saying you watched the, the like, documentary on how they made it. I probably would have watched all that. But be- <laughs>
0: well, it's, it's, just, it's just vocal. So when I watched it, I actually had the, the second, I watched it a second time because you have to to get the director's cut. The director's cut just plays over the, right, the right. co- One of those commentaries right. where they talk. And he doesn't actually talk scene by scene. He just talks about how the film was made. It describes the modern day um, porn industry. Um, it's, I, I was quite impressed. I was
2: quite impressed. Getting it, back it, to listen, that's that's nice co- big story. <laughs> I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you. You obviously want it back, do you? It's actually all next to me, Michael Moorcock book for the competition, and the have got the bloody, you know, it's in the living room here, so I'll have to hide it from the bloody kids. Mm. Mm.
0: So we got as far as we got as far as here we go. The the censorship, the political censorship, has changed, but we've got European cinema coming over, which is a lot more permissive than what we're used to there. And uh, the Board of Censorship is having to change its particular tack. It's now having to deal with um, social squalor and sexual passion,
2: Tony. Mm -hmm. Well, the British press had, you know, it's, it's actually the British press now, had begun to take great interest in the Board's affairs. In 1947, the thriller No Orchids for Miss Blandish was described by newspapers as nauseating muck with all the morals of an alley cat in, in the, all the sweetness of a sewer. Echo like of early like, kind of fuss surrounding Cronenberg's crash, you know what I mean? So it's kind of the base of really Cronenberg's crash, what came out a few years ago, you know, that kind of same style. But I mean, it got the same kind of treatment. Oh, right. uh-huh. well, I mean, I, I can remember, you know, feel like you say, when crash was... I haven't actually seen crash, do you know what I mean? So... But several of these local councils banned the film. You had a politician, I think he's called Tom Diberg, ask questions in the House of in the House about the uh, House of Commons about this BBFC's methods, and the censorships were put on the defensive over this. You know, they got (laughs) oh, we've let one escape. And actually, in response, the board decided... This is where, the you know, after all this kind of hoo-ha with this film, the board introduced the adults-only X certificate category in 1951. Now, this was actually... It replaced... I didn't even know about this, to be quite honest. It replaced the H in the horror. So there was obviously like a horror code which was banned from, I guess, the young seeing all the kind of the monster movies. Now, in theory, this X allowed the BBF to pass, you know, kind of worthy, raunchy, artistic stuff... But actually, in, in practice, it made no difference. In 1955, a split-second shot of a nipple by Ingrid Berg- Bergman's Smell of Summer Night was hunted down and exercised by the vigilante censors. No nipples on TV. Thank you very much.
0: Fantastic stuff there. Do you remember the Carry On film where they, um, they watch a nudist film? Mm-hmm. Before, and then they go off to stay at this campsite, which turns out not to be the nudist camp that uh, Sid and I can't remember what his, what his side cat was, oh, Harry, were, were both going down to go down to with. Um, uh, that's when they meet up with Barbara Windsor. Yes, and
2: yes. Down there with I mean, that's, they must have sailed close to the window all the time, with, you know, because, you know, them early ones, you know. Well, that, that was,
0: I mean, obviously, the Carry On film, the way that was put across there, was playing on what was going on at the time, that you could go to the cinema, and this is not in the 50s so much, but in the 60s, and watch these kind of. Uh, nudie films, which were in fact um, s- they were they got past the censors, which is much much later on, by claiming that they were were they were factual documentaries dealing with you know serious subjects, and the fact that the nudity and all this kind of stuff there was just by the by. There's some famous one where it's some kind of sex doctor, where it's all full of this kind of you know, jumping around and jiggling of breasts and simulated sex and some such, because. This guy's um, giving out um, sex therapy, which is why it kind of works. So, it wasn't actually until the 50s that we actually got breast and buttocks. And then <laughs> after that, it all went downhill. Oh, it, was all, it, was, it all went uphill, Kieran. So all... In 1968, Tony, we get, uh, we get Terence Stamp's penis, <laughs> apparently turned up in Pasolini's Theorem.
2: I tell you what, it wasn't until 1968, you know, when we had a, sweet, a Swedish actress, I think she's called Agnina Ekema, I don't know if I've even, uh, briefly dropped her drawers in the film Hugs and Kisses, that the British public was allowed a moment of minge.
0: Ah, yeah, but this big thing about this moment of minge, you had to make sure it was shaven minge and all sorts of weird stuff.
2: They used to airbrush it out as well. Imagine having that job. <laughs> what do you do? Uh, I'm an airbrush artist. On what? <laughs> Do you remember that
0: um, Ken Russell film, The Devils? Remember The Devils? Now, The Devils is something that I watched a, a couple of years ago. There, and I thought, what a load of weird, weird rubbish! This is—it was beautifully shot, very gorgeous colours, and very um, uh, evocative. It's—it's it's got Ollie Reed, and I always like a good film with Ollie Reed in there. And it's—it was weird. It was full of uh, religious ecstasy and, and and genital torture and blasphemy and enemas and and kind of priests who shag an awful lot, and it was, it was really, really, really strange enough. But all sorts of films came out about this time there. You had Soldier Blue, Straw Dogs, and A Clockwork Orange, and they all featured rape scenes that, while they disturbed the board, they actually made it out onto the cinema after, of course, some editing there. And apparently, the editing... Now, you're a big fan of Straw Dogs.
2: It was a cracking film, and I kind of even, like I say, I can't even think about it, but Apparently, when it was cut, is this right? The the uh, the version that gave the impression that she was actually being sodomised, and I was actually adding more controversy to this film. No, I cannot yeah. even picture picture that. To be quite honest, but no, I, I've never watched Straw Dogs. I think we, I'm sure, again, we talked about that. Was that a Peckinpah film? Was it Sam Peckinpah? Did he direct that? Because we've done this on our show, one of our shows. I tell you, there is one film that
0: kind of, and this is again. Uh, this got passed by the British census before we kind of jump off this one here. But that was, of course, Last Tango in Paris. This is, um, is it Bernardo Bertolucci? Um, was that his particular film? This is the one where...
2: Butter and buggery you've got down here, yeah, whatever's good.
0: Butter, butter and buggery. You've got Marlon Brando, and Marlon Brando's still a good-looking lad. And it's about an older man having a kind of, and a younger woman having a kind of fling and it's about the relationship as it comes to more or less to the end. And at the very end of it there, um, Brando buggers this girl and this girl walks out of his life shortly afterwards. But uh, I remember watching that thinking, what the, I-, I was young as well, watching this thinking, what the f- fuck's this? Where's he going there? I often used to come across films after channel surfing, so I hadn't watched all the way through. I just kind of channel surfed into it there and there's Marlon Brando. I thought, oh, there's Marlon Brando. And I was like... Oh, what's going on here, And again, I just caught it the last five minutes of the film, so it was just kind
2: of like, what the hell have I missed? Mummy, can we can we can we turn it over, mummy? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is where they were winning. The kind of let's say what Keenan was saying is like last Tango in Paris. You had pressure groups were all kicking off there now. Festival of light and Mary Whitehouse. National Viewers and Listeners Association was screaming for more censorship. In fact, the mainstream US cinema had moved away from really all this kind of controversy of the early 70s. And really, the sex and the violence and all them kind of things were kind of clumped together now in these low-budget exploitation flicks. And this is what, you know, many of these really were kind of cheap to make, cheap to buy, and appeared on the home kind of video what were came out in the 80s. And this is where you get... This is what leads to video nasties.
0: Well, it, it's part and parcel. Flesh Gordon tells a story about how these guys making stag movies suddenly found themselves making kind of porn movies, and there was this huge market for it because of the way things were changing. But there was more going on. There was these was, there was the supposed snuff movies, by all accounts. I mean, the most famous snuff movie, I can't remember its name there, was actually faked, but there was such a, a, a big wave of media um, who who are about these films there? I mean now in the u k we had a very different kind of situation to America. We have uh, by all accounts the most repressive uh, certainly in Europe and possibly in in, in the english speaking world uh, censorship laws but in literature uh, the, probably the most famous example is of course lady Chatterley's lover now lady Chatterley's lover apparently um, was not allowed into the country. I think it was suppressed in 1929. Um, is that right? Let's get this right. I, I think it was anyway. The the actual book itself was a major court test case where people actually um, were brought in to say that the book was a work of great, great uh, art, and and I don't think most people say that it is really a good book. Have you ever read Ladies and I haven't, no, Chatham's no. Books.
2: Just, i watched the film. Yeah, I watched the TV I it, Yes, I think know, that might be the... the um, with Sean Bean in
0: there. It was shocking, absolutely shocking. Well, apparently there is a, a, a book called The Well of Loneliness. Now, and that was suppressed in 1928 on the account of just one sentence. And the sentence was, I quote, uh, that night they were not divided. And it because it hinted at a lesbian relationship, uh, it was uh, not allowed, which is quite
2: strange. It's actually, that's so hinted at, it's like, it's so like, you know what I mean, that would just miss miss me by. But obviously, in them times, you just couldn't get away with even that, do you know what I mean? Absolutely, massive there. But it all changed in 1959. Pornography had always been on sale, you know, on the black market, and had been titles alone of some of the Victorian works remain curious reminders of what our kind of ancestors found exciting. The Obscene Publications Act came in 1959, it was actually a step in the right direction. It was not intended as really, this is what it says, as a liberal measure. It was announced as actually a preamble, as an act to strengthen the law concerning pornography, but with its effects was liberal. It was divided obscene publications into two two basic categories you've got on one hand you've got pornography and on the other hand you've got literature and basically pornography was pornography they kind of viewed that and, and they would ban it but then if it was kind of deemed had a little bit of you know it was art it was literature then it was taken aside you know and then it was decided by experts if it kind of mounted to being literature or was it basically still pornography and get it banned as well.
1: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
0: But it did make a a major, major change. And I certainly think the likes of um, Michael Moorcock found himself writing under that particular climate there. You know, this idea that you could include it there, that it was a more adult literature. But in the 30s and 50s, where certainly you had guys like uh, Bellamy and Wells. They were, would shock their readers by talking about the concepts of, of free love, where, where inhibitions and sexual taboos uh, were no longer available. They certainly didn't go about describing them because it, it wasn't allowed. Um, they, the most, I think, famous example for, for us in sci-fi is um, of... of unworldly love being described is uh, in the adventures of uh, John Carter of Mars where Edgar Rice Burroughs describes um, John Carter and Deja Thoris standing next to um, his Martian princess's baby which of course is an egg because she, she, um, <laughs> she lays an egg but it was all off stage you know well you saw the egg and perhaps you kind of got the idea that she'd be naked here there and everywhere you never actually got them committing the actual act
2: this is where this is Ke this is where my imagination now kicks in, and it's you reading your books and it's all your little fevered imagination in your bedroom with the Larry Nivens going rampant hey
0: look let's not look <laughs> at there you know Larry Niven's influence on foreplay is there um, there is of course the the uh, John Norman's go books they there there uh, they
2: had a major Major influence on my erections. Well, oh, you you did read them because I had loads of them, but never actually got round to reading any. You did read them, did you? The Gore books. Yes. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, they were they were
0: jam packed full of S and M kind of imagery. Kind of um, uh, women were seen as slaves, and women who weren't slaves wanted to be slaves, and they wanted to be dominated. And and I guess it shows you how sensibilities had changed i was reading it thinking how not not how wrong it was not not wrong in terms of its sex but in the way that it portrayed women i was very much aware that that wasn't the way that women were actually were you know it
2: was now actually the breakthrough began this is where kind of everything kind of kicked off was and we've mentioned this before with philip posier farmer this is where he stirred up loads of fury and controversy blatantly torn about sex as he's kind of he's basic central theme in his epoch making story The Lovers, 1952. And actually just as importantly as well, you had Theodore Sturgeon was embodying in him kind of a more really a sensitive and dramatic stories in his belief that we must actually come to terms with our own sexuality to overcome this kind of inner disassociated psychological and social problems. You know, so he was kinda of, this is where it kind of really kicked off. And one of his best pieces Theodore Sturgeon for this is it's called The World Well Lost, 1953, and this is where our sympathy has been engaged and persecuted, and literally star-crossed lovers were actually allowed to learn they were homosexual. Tony, I've got something I want to read to you. Can I read this to you,
0: and I'll tell you a little story. This is a, this is a family, this is one of the great family kind of uh, hilarities. We've, we've got this since I was a kid. This uh, Marshall Cavendish Dictionary of Medicine. I'm sure and you're going like... to read the same paragraph out that we've read once before. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure we haven't done it before. Now, it's 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 it, it's a description of lesbianism, Tony. And lesbianism, according to the Marshall Cavendish um, Dictionary of Medicine, is female homosexual homosexuality. It is so called after the Greek island of Lesbos, most of whose inhabitants in classical times were apparently homosexual. The incident of lesbian tendencies is totally unknown, but most experts in this field believe that true lesbianism occurs in less than 5% of women, although it has been shown that, as in the case of male homosexuality, a considerably larger proportion of the female population have had, had trivial escapades of this sort, often, for instance, in adolescent adolescence. True lesbians Sometimes, but but no means always, rather masculine in appearance, (laughs) with close-cropped hair, and a tendency to wear suits and smoke pipes. Others may seem perfectly feminine in appearance. Sexual contact between them consists mainly of genital kisses and caresses, although sometimes a male type of lesbian equips herself with a loin harness to which is attached an artificial phallus. Treatment of lesbianism is almost impossible except in rare cases where the woman herself actually wants to convert to heterosexuality. Here, a psychiatrist may be able to help. Oh, that's
2: shocking, isn't it? (laughs) Have you got a pill? Have you got a pill just so we can nowadays take a pill and get rid of these feelings? Oh, uh, the nasty, beastly, (laughs) horribleness.
0: Yes, I'm not quite sure Have you got a date for that, Kieran? Uh, No, I was searching. There's no publishing it. We would have picked that up in the, um, uh, the early 70s. Be about seventy-two, seventy-three. We would have been got, but it was more. Absolutely, it was probably
2: written in the fifties, and they just printed it again. It was probably but, some guy <coughs> just sitting at a, you know, kind of an office by himself. Right? My subjects today are toothache, lesbian, and sore feet. Now, do you know
0: your story by Why Sturgeon? Well, what was the name of that story again?
2: I'll have to go back over.
0: A world, a world once lost. Was it you were saying? Yes. I'm not entirely certain, I know that one, but I, I was reading somewhere that the reason why that got published, there was a, it was published in a magazine called Universe, and the guy, we've talked about him before, a guy called Ray Palmer, was the editor of Universe, and this story by Sturgeon was going around and one particular editor was so incensed by this story where you find out that the characters are actual homosexual, that uh, the, the world well lost, that's it, and he was so incensed that it was trying to promote or it was talking about homosexuality that this editor wrote a letter to all the other editors, urging them not to publish it and This uh, Ray Palmer took one look at the letter and because he was such a perverse guy he 's the guy who
2: um, published all those Carver mystery stories after you know this kind of pioneering work of Sturgeon and farmer and also a much kind of Miley Darren works as The Disappearance by the, a guy, 1951, by a guy called Philip Wiley, which kind of postulates a total but temporary division between societies of, of men and women. You actually had other ones, 1956, John Wydom, he jumped in there with Consider Her Ways, which actually dealt with ambiguous utopian all-women societies. Then you had The Girls from Planet Five, 1955, by R- Richard Wilson, which deals actually skittishly with a, a similar theme. And then you, you kind of jump into really the sixties and seventies, and because of like these pioneers that kind of came in the in the fifties there, and not to mention also you know you had Brian Aldis was kicking around there doing his stuff. You had Vonnegut and a few others. This is where sex really came out of Kieran's closet <laughs> and under the page. You know what I mean? It was like more in its normal role within the, like the lives of people. So really the writings today of you know Silverberg, Harlan Nelson, Barry Milesberg, and dozens more. Actually, deal with human relationships, you know, that have actual, you know, got sexual plots, sexual themes in them. Do
0: you know? I remember the very first sci-fi book that I read, where I kind of thought, well, it actually had sex in, and it was um, uh, Robert Silverberg's *A Time of Changes*. And this is a society where uh, people don't talk in the personal sense, so they 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 talk like uh, royalty. It's one does this and one does that. It's never I. I do this, or I would like this. And this particular sex scene, where the main character is making love to a serving wench, and um, it's quite. It's, I mean, obviously, you can tell Silverberg spent a lot of time writing for the um, the the kind of confidential style little stories. You know, the kind of hot and smutty little numbers. Well, that's
2: what did, I was going to say. Didn't he um, just to, to make some money as well? He was writing. We did the Silverberg show, and I found out that he was actually. Writing this stuff to, you know, porn to make actually to boost up his, his income as well as a science fiction writer. Uh, well,
0: there's a scene where the the serving girl um, wriggles her hips um, to kind of you can off remember the act there. this, Kieran. Uh, wriggles her hips and um, <laughs> and and co- causes the character to actually ejaculate. And he said, um, "I did not want to come then." And this serving wench is so devastated by this breach of bad manners that she runs off uh, in tears and of course tells a few people about this, and the character has to leave the inn because he's he 's effectively
2: by saying i he 's done something quite vile See, you know what you know what 's actually disturbing Kieran you know what 's actually disturbing you can remember that when did you read that i I bet you 're reading that about fifteen year ago, and you can recall that because it Yeah,
0: yeah. I I would have read it. I would have read it when I was in when I was in my early teens, if any time.
2: Actually, I think your mother should have went in that bedroom of yours and just come on out. You're coming out to play now. Get out, you little dirty fucker. You, aye. The dam actually broke and it came out when New Wave kicked off in the '60s. You know, suddenly you had explicit sex was like kind of commonplace. You know, again. Brian Aldis J.G. Ballard Samuel Delaney Kieran's, one of Kieran's favourite writers there Norman Spinrad was shoving it out there and you know I guess one of the staple diets of Starship Silver Harlan Nelson's, you know taboo breaking anthology Dangerous Visions it was printing some of this kind of radical hard not hard sexual stuff but you know it, it certainly had connotations in there so all the old guys once now this was kicking off all the old guys, the old writers, the likes of Asimov and Heinlein, they all blossomed out in you know the freedom of the sixties, especially like Heinlein, where he's laid that stuff as well. You know, what I mean? much of his central theme had this kind of strong plea for sexual, you know, emancipation, sometimes expressed with a kind of embarrassing locker room prudence. And then you know you've got, if you remember, like Heinlein, you had Strange in a Strange Land, nineteen sixty-one. And then, you know, you're going into I Will Fear No Evil, which came out in 1971. All this now, because of this liberation of, you know, new way of making sexual sex kind of the norm, you had the the old guys jumping on the bandwagon. Well, it was definitely going
0: on in society, and I think it was coming into sci-fi later than most genres, because the big thing about sci-fi was that, say, for instance, in the case of John Campbell, his, uh, Kay Tarrant, who was an assistant editor, was notoriously prudish. Uh, and the market was definitely perceived as being for adolescent boys. And there was something, uh, Kay Tarrant would actually make any author who put anything vaguely risque in there uh, to take it out. So some authors tried to get by her just as a little kind of a, a game. And there's a story about one guy. He has um, a, on one page it says, a ball-bearing mousetrap. And on the following page, you realise that it's a cat he's talking about.
2: <laughs> you know, we, we did that with the John W. Campbell. She, did, she She really took the stories before even Campbell got a chance to look at them. So she was kind of editing them down before the great man himself would have looked. So that really there was, like you're saying there, there was no sex. Is that right? hmm So the, there was one publisher, and it was...
0: Uh, Essex House that uh, brought erotic fiction into sci-fi more than anybody else. And this is the guys who um, published Farmers, the Image of the Beast, A Feast of the Unknown, and also published books by Hank Stein, David Meltzer. Now, there were other publishers who followed suit, like Olympia and Ophelia Press. Now, they were publishing sci-fi erotica as well by guys like Charles Platt, who you might remember, who was involved in New New Worlds, um, Barry and Malsberg, who, um, perhaps, wrote the most gloomiest, <laughs> gloomiest <laughs> uh, pornography ever
2: published? That's the last thing you want to read, isn't it? I mean, fair of you, you want to read you, you read the but you certainly don't want to read crappy, miserable pornography.
0: Well, have you read any of Barry Malsburg's books? I haven't have you read. No. Um, what's the What's the one? Um, I've got a couple of Barry Melzberg's one. Uh, one, the famous one about an astronaut beyond Apollo, where the astronaut comes back from Mars, I think it is. It's very psychological, very, very uh, heavy, turgid kind of stuff. I mean, it was very popular in its time there because it was considered to be works of intelligentsia, uh, sci-fi. But it's hard, hard going. Like swimming through shit, really. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not something you want to do. Other houses publishing pornography as well, but they were perhaps less um, stringent in their standards than the likes of Essex House. And there was books like Anal Planet in 1976 by Alex Forbes. Anal Planet, come on, you couldn't think of that. But this is all paving the way for what is considered to be the most distinguished work of pornographic sci-fi. And that came out in 1973, a little work by uh, a guy called Jimmy Ballard, and that was Crash. 1973, where he mixes images of technology and sex to make this um, ambiguous, uh, evocative kind of picture of society and and of course, of course, the people who are in society, how they're affected by it and how they inter, into re- uh, well, how they react to life um,
2: within this society. That's one film I haven't, or the one film I haven't seen, and the one book I haven't read as well. So. It's one of those things you keep on hearing about over and over and mm-hmm. over again. I'll tell you what, um, on another level, and we've, we've we've covered covered her as well, Tiptree, James Tiptree Jr., introduced the kind of um, most sexual dimension, even in the like, human and alien relationships, and her story, and I woke up and found me on a cool hillside, 1971. But apparently, even before James Tiptree was kind of doing this, you had... kind of really all had to bow to Naomi Mitchison who in a much earlier work when her narrator Memories in a Space Woman 1962 became pregnant by an attractive alien lover you know Mm. so women were now kind of pushing out this pushing the boundaries out as well I love Triptree just going off did you see I sent um, an email to Triptree's agent to try and get some stories narrated but I haven't heard anything back but I'm not going to I'm not going to leave it there. You got in touch with the lady who wrote that book that
0: we we used a lot of extracts from her book about but, James Tiptree Jr.
2: Yes, well, she, wo- she wouldn't. Hugo would for that book, but I just thought, you know what I mean? Who do you, who do you kind of speak to to get, like, say, James Tiptree Jr.'s stories are out there, but you, you kind of just kind of get them to read and put them on the show, so you've got to get the, the permission. Another guy who was writing pretty much the same time as Tiptree
0: and pretty much comes within the same... Genre is my fave, Tony, Samuel R. Delaney. And he gets, um, gets very interested about sexual themes. I mean, he was a very interesting man himself. He was, he was homosexual. Um, I made that sound quite blasé. He was homosexual. <laughs> he was involved in a, in a, a troilism relationship with uh, Marilyn Hacker. Alan Hacker, he married, but obviously he was gay, uh, she was bisexual. They had a relationship there, and they'd often involve a third person in their relationship. And a lot of uh, Samuel Delaney's books, like Dal Green and Triton, they actually talk about relationships on that particular, of that particular type there. And also, he's got one where the spaceman of his stories there, and I can't remember what the story's actually called, are actually asexual, is that right? They have no sex themselves. The people who travel in space because of the radiation and some such are altered to have no sexuality. Did you ever read any of John Varley's books?
2: I've got... Varley- I've got an... It's funny, I've got a... i have got I wanted to keep that in case we do, because we're going to, I guess, do it at John Varley sure. I've got an audio book there, and I was going to pass it on to you as well, so... Well, I've read his
0: uh, Gay and Trilogy,
2: um, and,
0: and they are... Uh, they're torturing a guy, and they're making this guy believe that they're burning his genitals, but they're actually using ice cubes. <laughs> but the when you when you're in a panic, there's, I don't think your body can actually tell the difference between incredibly cold and incredibly hot. John Varley is quite good at mixing in that kind of imagery there, and the Gay trilogy. I remember reading them; it's quite it's quite good, it's quite well rounded, it's quite colourful.
2: So really, now you know you're, you're kind of you're getting to the stage now of, of women's lib and the use of science fiction a serious examination of ses- sexual politics was let's say pioneered by Philip Wiley in the disappearance but really you know elevated to a, a more serious level you know of sophistication or did you have Ursula K Le Guin left-handed darkness and moreover some women writers are making up for like, in all these years where you basically you had your female characters in science fiction were either what was said, captured and ran off, run away with monsters, or were just really there to make the coffee and tea, you know, this kind of stereotypical thing. Even when they had, you know, it was Dr. Susan whatever had a PhD in astrophysics, you know, and it's basically the heroes, the, the guys were left to kind of save, save the world when well, all that was kind of changing, you know. Women are using kind of the science fiction context and its devices, really, to interrogate women's roles in society, Present and future, and I, I guess the, one of the big the big hit in this kind of genre in this theme was Joanna Russ, especially in his uh, novel The Female Man, nineteen seventy five. Now I know Kieran's got that on his shelf, mm-hmm. and you haven't let you haven't lent it to me, so I'm taking it. You haven't read that one yet. Have I
0: have got I have got a collection. I got I, it was I don't know. You're what just I
2: getting pick- them, haven't you lately or something?
0: Mm, within 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 this year, I've got um, I think about I've got. Two or three collections of pure women's sci fi short stories. Um, I've got I've got a couple of books by Joanna Russ.
2: Well actually as well, mind you, male writers of the same period were more more likely to construct images of female dominated kind of societies which were really mocking and you know full of foreboding. Walt R. Besson's The Revolt of Man, eighteen ninety two, which actually now seems much funnier than actually the author intended, as do many of the tales reprinted in when Women Rule, 1971. So this was, you know, like, by Sam Moskowitz. We've covered him as well. But you come into the 80s now, though, Though this is where the 80s total changed as well, where you had the advent of AIDS, and, you know, a cast, cast really a, this dark shadow over science fiction images, you know, of this kind of, of the near future. And I guess one of the most straightforward displays is the, the Journals of the Plague Years, 1988, by Norman Spinrad. And you had anthologies of science fiction in the 80s with, you know, sexual themes, which also kind of had, you know, this kind of post-AIDS anxieties, include Alien Sex, which came out in 1990, and its sequel, Off Limits, which came out in 1969. And this was actually edited by Ellen Datlow. And Arrows of Eros in 1989, edited by Alex Stewart. For me,
0: Alien Signoni Weaver... I mean, there's the watermark, you know. That's where you see this big change between um, there's a a female character who's the lead, there's a female character who's strong, who isn't making the coffee, who isn't screaming, who isn't being carried off by an alien. Tell me about this. This is a big thing from pulp books there,
2: but why are these aliens always after our women, Tony? Because, like, it it is, isn't it? It's like what you see, their aliens are like some big blobby mass that just produces, like... Pops out an egg every now and again. They look well, at all those yeah, things. Or
0: has, or has many, many pseudopods where they can make love to a woman from thirteen directions, and therefore are miles better at it than what we are. But this weird idea that the, that these aliens are going to come down here and they want to be stealing all our good-looking blondes, which means that you know, you're kind of your football team
2: hero has to go off and, and do battle with them. If you remember, Kieran, when when we did, we had that poll: sexiest. Females in science fiction. I think Sigoni Weaver came out there on on the top. Do you know what I mean? It's like that image, it's, it's basically now an iconic image of like that monster dribbling bloody stuff to her, and there's a phone again. <laughs> bloody goes off every week now. It's not my mobile phone, mind. That's a house phone. Do you know what I mean? So that image of Sigoni Weaver is pure sex, I think. Sigoni Weaver, I don't see her as being pure sex. I see Sigoni Weaver being a,
0: a woman. Uh, Lead. I, mean, I don't look at her in in a, in a kind of sexual way. That I certainly regard her as as a complete character. And I think you know she was writing on the back of what had been going on in literature and going on in society. And all of a sudden, you know, the benchmark was set there. And I think as a as a feminist icon and as a sci fi icon, she's without parallel.
2: Well, it's just, just well, totally like what we're saying, We're going with that with that pool. Quite a few male or you know, male men were putting her there. As the you know the number one sexy baby in science fiction,
0: do you get excited about that idea? A strong woman who might kind of beat, you, smack you one on the chops there and beat you up a bit?
2: No, it doesn't. To be quite honest, it's just certain images kind of attract certain things for me. You know what I mean? And it was I don't know that's like you say, and you know we've got as well Terminator, you know Sarah Connor there as well. I always found that was quite a nice, a nice kind of rule (laughs) i'm not going to say i got me kicks from it (laughs) yeah sarah connor is she's
0: very much along the same particular line there i mean i I don't know there was red dwarf i think is the classic for me in terms of kind of establishing where sci-fi had arrived to because it was very popular with both men and particularly women and more so i mean it had a kind of 50 50 kind of uh, audience which was quite unusual for a sci-fi thing I mean, watching a few of those Red Dwarfs on those videos that you uh, were, were kind enough not to give to the charity shop.
2: Yes, I, yes I put some of them in as well, didn't I?
0: Hollership. Hollership was um, the one that caught me. It's the one <laughs> where... had <have> sex. <laughs> yeah, Jane, Jane Horrocks is, uh, play, plays the kind of female character, and they've been watching this weepy romantic film, and the male lead decides to sacrifice all for a woman you will never see again because they'll always have each other's love and it's the right thing and blah, blah, blah. I anyway, think, he, he goes to bed with Jane Horrocks and Jane Horrocks said, "Making love to you is like a, is like a Japanese meal, little portions, but lots of them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we could just sit now and talk about really Red do. My best one you know is when." Rimmer's mum's on that on the couch. You know what I mean? It's when the gulfs are coming and it's kind of the sticking the things to the forehead. And he says things that boy could do with alphabet spaghetti. He's <laughs> like a wild animal. It's <laughs> horrible.
0: It's our <her> own mom. <laughs> Yes, it, you know, suck away Rimmer's kind of uh,
2: anger because it's all he's actually got. Fantastic, doesn't it? Just make it's like a comfort blanket, Red Dwarf. Every time we just bloody talk about it. it but just...
0: it plays with values as well. There's that that bit where. Um, they meet; their opposites from a parallel universe. So you've got a female Rimmer and a, and a female Lister, and of course the Cat who's thinking, "Christ, this is it." You're not going to meet a female me. Actually, ends up with a dog. But but the female Rimmer, for instance, oh, she was he, uh, what a char- she brilliant was. bit of character. But you you've got the two of them sitting there, and Rimmer found her so deeply unattractive because she was effectively. Him. What he is with women, and then all of a sudden he realised what women actually found when they met
2: him. Did you see? Remember the beginning when um, she's like in the disco and she's tapping him, smacking his leg, and, throw, and then he's to a friend to like lister, the female list that. frigid, frigid, <laughs> fantastic, oh, absolutely amazing, absolutely. 100%. I'm so glad we did like Red Dwarf. to mind, you, quite honestly, because it it is. It's actually. One of them shows, I think, it's just, like, it covers every base, everything. You know, it's a landmark in science fiction, do you know what I mean? And it's it's what we grew up with.
0: It is, it is. And what do you think? I mean, to, to kind of, like, summarise, I, I was trying to think of, of books that I'd read recently where sex actually played a part, and I don't remember them. I remember, and the only one, I don't know, there was Blindsight. I mean, Blindsight is probably one of the most recent kind of... Uh, hard sci-fi with a kind of mixed crew that I've read and there was no
2: sex in that whatsoever see it's funny you asked me this before we started and I really kind of think of any books there that's kind of been hitting on with big sexual storyline, or not even just even just little glimpses of it I don't know I mean I'm reading Paul, uh, listening to Paul Anson at the minute time patrol and there's nothing in, <laughs> you know, there's nothing in there
0: in Eiffelheim there was Hildegard Muller she was the Miller's wife and she was the one who slept with everybody I mean that's Something there, but she's quite she's described quite sympathetically. So I I I think that's probably quite a good thing. She's described as somebody who has appetites, and 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 finds it quite hard in her appetites. society where well she does, you know she finds it quite hard in her society where people look upon her badly. But so she compensates by making sure she does as much charitable
2: things as she possibly can. You know, talking about sorry, just talking about just jumping in there before I forget. Do you know Blindside Peter Watts? where he might be audio and doing some of his short stories for us, for audio. Yeah, Gary's been yes. talking to him. That's Gary Hicks, who mm-hmm. the
0: man who kind of um, props us up with all his help and, uh, and uh, obviously, for me, software. <laughs>
2: wheeling. Gary Gary Hicks is now our our agent. He's wheeling, dealing, trying to get... I think that's, that's a marvellous thing. That'll be nice.
0: Oh, I just remembered one, one little story that uh, kind of strings be. It's... Um, yeah, it's called The Stone Thing. It's a Michael Moorcock story. I showed it to you when we were over there in, uh, in Paris. It's the one where the hero, he's, he's described as he's described uh, as this guy who's kind of, instead of an eye, he's got this big red jewel. Instead of a, uh, a right hand, he's got this big kind of iron clunky thing. And instead of a left hand, he's got this silver gauntlet. And then he's got a, a foot, which he cut off some kind of demigod in, in a battle. And he, he kind of goes all the way through and everyone's he's shunned because of the way he is. And he makes his way to the door of this lady who uh, takes him in and, and is attracted to him. And he unveils he himself and all his glory and her eyes widen as she sees his manhood. But his manhood's actually been lopped off as well. It's been replaced by this kind of... Uh, uh, stone obelisk inscribed with careful runes and and he <laughs> describes it as a, a thing of great beauty and she he says he far better than the thing it was before and she says yes, yes it is a thing of far greater beauty there, but did it have to be made
2: of sandstone? <laughs> <laughs> we sound like two naughty schoolboys, you know, what I mean? as soon as you we bloody
0: <laughs> Well yeah but there's I mean guess the other thing that sci fi's covered is sex with uh, machines, you know, that's, that's coming to it. Um, I was reading a story, uh, it was The Guard Whale, I think that came in the 70s by a guy called T.K. Bassett. It's a really good book, and I think I'm going to try and... Uh, hunt that get, out again. Hunt that out and do something with that book. There's a guy who, the central character, he ends up riding through an awful lot of humanity's history because he gets injured and he doesn't want to... Um, Spend life as a cripple. He wants to be a complete man again, and eventually he finds himself um, going beyond where society can actually help him or are interested in helping him. And he becomes a cybernetic entity, and he ends in the end having a kind of robotic lover.
2: Let's round up sex and sci-fi, and Kieran, what images have you got, or what can you remember from your read? What really holds up for you, sex and sci-fi? Well, a big. I've already thrown all mine in, Tony. I've
0: thrown all my very <laughs> you I, I, I've spent, and I, I'd like to hear. I'd like to
2: hear one from you, sir, because I think that'll be well, interesting. It's it's like I see, I, it doesn't really ring any bells. I've never, it's never noticed it. I've never really come across it. I mean, like say, you know, Heinlein and all his kind of later stuff. But I was, I was really put off by that, you know. And it, I like Chip Trees, like short stories. I've. Didn't really. Such as she was more an anthropologist
0: when she talked about sex. It was from the clinical
2: viewpoint of a, of a scientist. I mean, that was always very, very apparent. Maybe was... I like, maybe I like that clinical clinical view. Have you want to say any thank, big thank yous to show notes, sir? Um, I'll be, I think this time round it's uh,
0: the Marshall Cavendish Dictionary of <laughs> Medicine. Um, I'd like to say, I'd like to say a big thank you to, um, the Encyclopedia of Science Fiction, Peter Nichols and John Clute, um, the Science Fiction Encyclopedia by Dave Pringle. And I think they're my only sources. I can't think of where else I've been.
2: I mean, though, you just even like say Wikipedia, you you type in there, sex and sci-fi, sex and science fiction, you know, it's... You'll, you'll notice everyone was really kind of doing it. You could, you could probably talk about every writer under the sun was dabbling in it. Do you know what I mean? Alderman, the whole lot of them. So,
0: But it came after. I think that was the big thing for me. It came after everybody else. It kind of, the changes were going on in society. And sci-fi had been this kind of um, adolescent juvenile backwater that these guys then, as part of Michael Moorcock's and the new
2: waves and everybody else's kind of move to make it a more adult genre. So that kind of, I'm guessing that really wraps up sex and sci-fi. Like I say, for me, it wasn't really a big thing. I was more interested in zap guns. You know, I like what Kieran was saying there about, you know, the aliens coming down pinching all our women. Them images of these covers of magazines with women in them, you know, they were like nice. But I was never kind of titillated. (laughs) Not like some, sir, whose whole life seems to have been evolved around sci-fi and uh,
0: sex well not well not entirely certain i think for me yeah they, you know they, when you know when i read the go books you know at that particular time in my life there they, they, they left their mark but whenever sci-fi started getting super real for me there was always a kind of quiet buzz you know and when they included in you know relationships and they included in you know, sex uh, and it, it became, it, it just added an extra facet to my sci-fi that made it just a little bit more believable because I think for me, I mean, just looking at sci-fi, sci-fi was that kind of sketch of the, of the way the future could be. It was a kind of an alternative world. And uh, when they got the sex bit right and the emotional relationship bit right, and some authors did it better than others, it just kind of you added were, that
2: little bit more color. You were a very happy, choppy,
0: <laughs> well, yes, I wasn't spending all my time beating my meat underneath the sheets,
2: coming, mummy, so yes, the end of sex and sci fi took a while took a while to get there, you know, like like most British men were um what's the words Kieran? I'm not entirely certain, Tony. What are you trying to
0: say? What are you trying to say about British men that would actually include me in with you? Yes, no, no, no. I'll, I'll You're a married of man of about, what, how many years now? He's, he's getting out 18 years, Tony, you and you and Mel. Yeah, uh, That's, you know, that's a different legal together to
2: me. Yes, eighteen years and and actually you normally forget the wedding anniversary, and it's coming up just after christmas, so i have uh, got that all sorted this year because I've had plenty i've got a month on the sick, so I've got plenty of time to kind of think and plan things
0: Jesus, have you seen the amount of emails you're sending on the um on the account
2: Oh, I'd sent loads of, I'm pretty what right. i what I'd
0: normally check on a on a week of stuff is is now kind of um you've got like a week and a day now, will you? I'll leave it for, leave it for two days there.
2: I've got two pages of emails to go through. <laughs> I'm a lonely lad. <laughs> it's quite weird being, being in all the time, Kieran. Do you know what I mean? It's like rather strange. So, yes. So, next week, we, we don't know actually who's, what's going to be. You know, it, it's supposedly going to be just Kieran doing Michael Moorcock, but we haven't really got the final show of the video. So, Kieran can't really put his notes together in case he's repeating himself. So we're just gonna play it by yeah, but something will come out next Saturday, Sunday, you know, and we've got the short stories as well they're coming. Like you say we're getting some great authors on board as well, so look out for the short stories Wednesdays. Yes, yeah, so everyone have a nice Christmas and we will be back next week. It's good night from me And it's good night from him.
0: survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape
2: without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment? Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of Surship Evacuation Procedure machine. Shuttle set for watch.
0: Airlock will be opened in three, two, one...